I can vividly remember getting back to the huddle with Chad after a pass play that I did not throw him the ball. And he just repeatedly told me how wide open he was. The whole time he's waving his hands and whatnot. Well, of course, you go watch the film the next day. He wasn't that open. But it was a common occurrence for him telling me how old, how open he was and why he didn't get the ball. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Fiesta Bowl Football Focus Podcast. I'm Scott Lightman with the Fiesta Bowl, and I'm joined by Jonathan Smith, one of the top players in Fiesta Bowl history, who returned to his alma mater of Oregon State to become head coach in 2018. Jonathan today will share with us about the intensity of the Civil War rivalry, what it was like to be a college head coach managing the COVID pandemic with his team, playing with talented receivers like Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada, and defeating Notre Dame in the 2001 Fiesta Bowl to close out the best season in Beavers history. Jonathan, thanks again for joining us here today. This is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, no problem. Coach, we hear all about the fiercest college rivalries, Carolina Duke in basketball and football. We have Michigan, Ohio State, Auburn, Alabama. Uh, can you describe for us Oregon State's Civil War rivalry with Oregon, maybe as a player, and, and is it any different as a head coach? Um, well, not, I wouldn't say it any different. You know, when you're playing or coaching, you're definitely competing in it. I think it's an intimate rivalry, and the reason I say that is because we're literally – just under 40 miles apart, the two campuses. And so you're, you're running into folks constantly how, how close we are to each other. I mean, this state, you're either one or the other, you're either a duck or a beaver. And, and, you know, it goes along a long time, way back, been playing this game over a hundred years. And so um, it's passionate, it's intimate. Um, and it's definitely something that means uh, a lot to every Oregonian. You've been on both sides of the of the win loss uh, in that rivalry. So describe what it's like to be the winner for 365 days, and then to fall short and have to live with that for 365 uh, days. No, yeah, it's that it means something, and you got to live with the the result, like you're saying, for a calendar year. And it's definitely better when you're walking around this state after a win, um, especially if those games are pretty big, uh, in regards to meaning something for either a Pac-12 slash 10 conference championship and it's general bragging rights and then being on the flip side man it's tough because then you're running in like i said to so many duck fans throughout the year because we're so close to each other and then have to be re- almost reliving the game because they're going to tell you about it uh, it's uh it's passionate and it's tough to lose it one of the w's in that rivalry came in that 2000 2001 season uh when you were a junior in the quarterback and it's widely recognized as the best season in Oregon State history why was your team that good that year yeah we had a we had a mix of mix of players we definitely had some real talent um i think we had some some guys that had played as youngsters and now they're getting into their third year starting um, and so we were veteran in a lot of spaces on the field. Um, had definitely had a coach and a coaching staff that had done it before in regards to winning and winning big and brought some confidence to that team. I look at us, too. I think early in that season, um, you know, we weren't just playing lights out and winning big all the time. I thought we improved from the start to the finish, and we were playing our best football at the end of the year. Um into that Civil War game and then the Fiesta Bowl. So I thought we just continually improved. And some of the reason I think we did that is because how competitive practice was. 
I mean, we were good on both sides of the ball. I mean, we had NFL players on both sides. And so the DBs covering the receivers, well, those were NFL matchups. And they weren't backing down in practice. They were going. And so as competitive as practice was, I think that led to us improving throughout the year. Well, you led us into the next question with some of the uh, the NFL players at wide receiver you had that year. And sometimes, Coach, receivers are known for their quote-unquote dynamic personalities. And uh, <laughs> you had Chad Johnson and, and TJ Hushmanzada on that team. Can you give us a funny story about each one of them? Oh, gosh. Both of them, you're right, had a – had a big-time personality, great guys, uh, loved the game, but were fun to be around. I can vividly remember getting back to the huddle with Chad after a pass play that I did not throw him the ball, and he just repeatedly told me how wide open he was. The whole time, he's waving his hands and whatnot. Well, of course, you go watch the film the next day. He wasn't that open, but it was a common occurrence for him to be telling me how, old, how open he was and why he didn't get the ball. And then I don't know if either of them will admit this, but it's back to, again, the huddle during games. Oftentimes, T.J. helped Chad line up. I mean, you know, T.J. was really smart. He'd been there another year. And so I called a play in the huddle, and then you could see T.J. chiming in Chad's ear where to go and what route to run. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Did it surprise you that either one of them had the NFL success that they had? No, I, it really didn't. I thought, you know, starting with Chad, he played one year here. He, his upside, he was just going to continue to get better. Um, as the game got comfortable for him. He's unbelievably talented, and it meant a lot to him. He liked practice, and he liked working out, um, so that didn't shock me. And then on TJ's side, he had definitely some uh, skills and was gifted, but he was so smart, so competitive, that he could, he could. I thought he would stick in that league, be able to move around, play inside or outside receiver, contribute on special teams, and, and that's why I think his career was as as good as it was. So when you have two such talents in your arsenal at the same time, uh, how did you look to take advantage of that one-two punch as the quarterback of that team? Yeah, you know, we did try to, you know, spread the field a little bit, and it's tough to double cover both the guys. And so finding finding ways to get a one-on-one matchup, that when we got that, we felt pretty confident about attacking that, and we were going to win most of the time. You know, TJ was able to play a lot of inside, too, where he's running option routes, where he – you know, he could see the field, me and him getting on the same page. Uh, we're, we're able to work the inside along with having the threat on the outside that Chad's going to run by you. So they really complemented each other. And uh, like I said, early on, we were a little hit and miss throwing the ball. But later in the season, um, we got into a nice rhythm and played at a high level. So you beat three top 25 teams in the regular season, including the Civil War game. And you head into the Fiesta Bowl against a legendary Notre Dame fighting Irish lore, so to speak. Um, you got through the Pac-10 Pac season back then, in fact, as the co-champ. Yeah. Um, but what was the team sentiment going up? I mean, you play the Pac-10 every year, so it's nice to be the champion of the, of the guys you play. Uh, but here you're going up against an iconic program like Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, share a little bit about the team sentiment leading into the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, I, we had a bunch of respect. I mean, like you're saying, this is a storied program. Um, which Oregon State was not. Uh, I definitely didn't know we were excited to be on that stage with that type of program to be able to kind of show, uh, you know, what we were about and how good we could be. Uh, but a bunch of respect to going in uh, and really enjoyed the, the week. You know, they brought a ton of fans to, to Phoenix and spending the week down there, and you could see the energy of the game and the pageantry of that program, along with all the excitement, obviously, we had of, 
of winning the Pac-10 at the time and, and going to a big game like that. So it was, uh, yeah, something to experience. You guys proved that you weren't just happy to be in the game. You know, little Oregon State that didn't deserve to be there against big Notre Dame. You came out no. early and scored on three of your first four possessions um, when you connect with Chad on that 74-yard passing touchdown. At that point, you know, or, what was the feeling amongst the team, or was that like, hey, hey, everybody, this is why we belong? Yeah, I, I, I felt like early in the game we did have – we moved it okay. Like you said, scored a couple early touchdowns. But, I, you know, feeling more, yeah, we belong, but also we, we feel good. I thought the speed of the game. This, our team speed was just flat out better, um, and we continue to take advantage of it. Like you mentioned, Chad taking it to the house from seventy some odd yards out, defensively flying around, um, getting into the backfield. You could see, feel it early on that uh, we could we could run by these guys and, and go on the attack. Uh, and you know that's kind of as the game played out. You know we we were able to jump on them. I want to say it was in the third quarter where we really got our hand handle on the game yeah it was that third quarter you guys scored 29 points in eight minutes so uh you kind of <laughs> com- took a commanding lead um after all of that what was the feeling to sort of crush Notre Dame 41-7 and then for you to stand on the trophy stage with the the team trophy but also the game's MVP yeah that was uh, quite a memory you know because I remember the fourth quarter not playing much right they uh, we started putting in the, the second and third strings and celebrating and talking with guys on the sideline, re- starting to realize what we had accomplished. You know, winning 11 games, beating a storied program like Notre Dame. Uh, one of my my favorite memories on the on a football field. Um, and the celebration continued. Like you said, the ceremony after up there with Coach Erickson, and you know the guys looking down and handing out trophies, and turned into the locker room celebrations, and then everyone getting with family and friends. I mean, it was a it was a great great night. Looking back on the regular season for one quick moment, was there a key point in the season, a win over USC or, or something else, where you realized that, hey, this team can be good. We can be a Fiesta Bowl champion come January. Yeah, I think that SC win was big early in the year. I think it was our fourth game to get us to 4-0. You know, we had gone non-conference and found ways to win the first three. But then uh, to beat USC, and again, that that program, what they had – have done and, and had so much success in this league for us to win that game. I th- that was a huge boost to our to our confidence um, that we could win every game we played. Uh, and then I go back again as we found ways to win. We didn't blow out everybody we played. We played in a couple tight games throughout that season, but found ways to win, continued to improve, and our confidence just continued to grow. So this season, ironically, is an anniversary season, uh, 20 years later uh, of that magical season. How much do you guys stay in touch? How much do you still talk about that season and reminisce and share and uh, and keep that team camaraderie that perhaps you had that year that made it so special on the field? Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, we did have kind of a big plan to celebrate that season 20 years later. And with all the chaos that took place with this 2020 season in regards to postponements and whatnot, it was actually kind of the thought if we weren't going to be doing much in the fall to be celebrating weekly each kind of game and talking about that entire season in detail uh, and so yeah there's been a, a big emphasis in talking about it a bunch I wish I stayed in touch with more guys of that team but you know how life goes um, we've seen a lot of them come back around now Corvallis being back here as the head coach that's been fun 
to be able to stay in touch that way, see them face-to-face once in a while, you know, whether they're coming to a game in the fall or the spring practice. So uh, try to stay in touch as much as I can uh, because, again, I made some great relationships and friendships with those guys in that special season. So now as the head coach of, of Oregon State, how do you rebuild that Oregon State magic that you just described? Um, it's been since 2013 that the Beavers have been in a bowl game, but under your direction, you jumped from one win before you got there to five wins last year, and you came oh so close, really, to, to breaking that bowl drought. So h- how do you recapture that magic and, and build Oregon State back up? Yeah, I mean... Uh, definitely been we've been working at it I feel like we do got some momentum over a couple of years and improving I look back on that magic I do think it starts with people it looks you know a wider variety of that roster at 2000 you know some came from Oregon some came from California across the country junior college transfers there was a great mix and uh, I found a special way to find kind of build your roster with some talent that uh, is somewhat unique and not just sticking a one route of recruiting only high school athletes. So that's a little bit of starting with the mix of how you get the type of people that fit our place, that love this game. Uh, and then you got to have a, a coaching staff that can be on the same page, um, which we've been able to have great continuity over the last couple of years. I think that's been a huge reason why we've built some momentum and yeah, we did. We won five last year and had an opportunity to be in a couple others that didn't go our way. Um, but, you know, sometimes this thing takes some time and we're enjoying the process of building it. And we are. We're trying to get back to to bringing championships to Oregon State. So you just described your momentum and the trajectory that the Beavers are on from, from last season and, and getting back to that this year. Um, you know, and back to where you guys were when you were playing nine bowl games in 11 years uh, during and around your time as a player there. So with, with all of that, kind of describe the emotions of this past summer and how you managed your team uh, with, with all that momentum and, and the positive energy toward the season. But then the news came down about the Pac-12 was going to postpone. And then how you managed the team during that time when you were maybe going to have team activities but no games. And then just a few weeks ago, the announcement that the Pac-12 was going to return this fall and and have a season. Yeah, it's been well, it's been a lot, a roller coaster kind of emotions. Um, and I'll kind of go back pre-postponement. I did feel like we were building on this on the momentum we have, um, and some of it uh, knowing that each each year is new. You know, each season is going to be different. So just because we had some progress last year doesn't mean that's just automatically going to continue. And that's been, that was our message to these guys continually. We got to put in the work. We lost some players, just like every college program. We got to replace those and develop. And, and so it was, there was nothing given uh, or expected except hard work. You know, we weren't just going to arrive and go to a bowl game. So that was a little bit of the message. And then there was definitely disappointment come a postponement. I mean, these guys had been back on campus working out, thinking training camp was right around the corner, um, getting ready for a season. And then kind of the rug got pulled on them and, and coaches. I mean, we were disappointed as all get out too. And so uh, that was a tough day. That was really a tough week because the team kind of decided they wanted to finish the week of workouts. But you could tell the announcement on a Tuesday, and you could tell by the end of the week, it was like guys needed a little breakaway, just a mental reset. And so we took a couple weeks off. Some guys went home. Some guys stayed around. Some guys just, again, took a, a break away. And then we began to gather back with the, the thought of getting improving our game during this fall and 
planning on a January season if, at best. Uh, but once once the news came out that we were going to go again, uh, guys were elated, and you can feel it around the workouts taking place after the announcement that you know we got daily testing that's going to be safe. People feel confident about it, and got a schedule, and we're going. So, what were some of the biggest challenges you had during this quote unquote off season? Um, you, you know, you had to deal with COVID. You had parents and student athletes ensuring their safety. There were some social justice issues. Um, there's coordination, uh, there's recruiting, uh, and, and the push of the recruiting um, periods, you know, from yeah. the spring all the way through. So what were some of your biggest challenges? It could be one of those or something completely different. Yeah, well, there's just a lot there since there was so much going on. I think the, the big a big challenge was because you didn't kind of have the opportunity to get face-to-face with them. I mean, you know, at Oregon State and across the the country the spring term everyone was back home you know and so we're getting on zoom and and talking to the kids that way but it's different in regards to with so much emotion going on with different issues uh and not to be able to look them in the eye and let them know we care for you and and have that one-on-one in-person conversations i think that really was tough on everybody involved it was you know was proud of our guys a lot of focus in regards to school uh, staying together, staying connected with uh, their teammates as much as they could. But with so much going on, the inability to to be in person, I think, was really, really tough. Jonathan, I can tell how much you enjoy being back at your alma mater as, as head coach, and, and it's a special relationship uh, for Oregon State uh, and that job when perhaps other people don't view Oregon State the same way that, that you do. Um, what was it like to be named head coach at Oregon State University? Yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, in a lot of ways an honor because, you know, I've been at this place, graduated from here, being an alum, uh, you know, the place means a lot to you. And so to be asked to be the, you know, the head coach of the program is a privilege in my mind. And so I felt, felt great about the fit in regards to knowing it, living it as a student. But also, you know, I got three kids and a wife of 18 years. Corvallis fits the kind of the lifestyle I like to live. And so it, it really felt something that I strongly wanted to do, knew that there was some real work to do. And I've always uh, enjoyed kind of challenges and getting my hands dirty and, and, and going about it. And that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years of, of really diving into this program and these players and, and trying to get it turned in a, a better direction. And, and we're in the midst of that. And I'm really enjoying it. You know, again, back to living in this town around these people and with these coaches and players, I'm really enjoying my day to day. So just before you got the head coaching job there at Oregon State, you were the offensive coordinator for Chris Peterson. Uh, what was that experience like? Uh, what did you learn from Coach Pete uh, during your time at, at Boise and uh, up, up the street in Seattle? Yeah, I learned a ton. Um, and it was really a great experience for me, you know, professionally to learn and grow out of one of, from one of the better coaches in college football. Uh, and then uh, – you know, just personally enjoyed kind of the friendship we we made and, and continue to to have. You know, the guys just got a bunch of wisdom to them, um, really uh, as a good heart. Um, on the football end, his attention to detail, he's a clear communicator. Um, always felt that over the six years working with him, that it was crystal clear kind of the expectations and uh, – and, you know, he was a creative mind, and it kind of started for him offensively with all of what he was able to do offensively when he was running the thing. And so 
the day-to-day conversations and game plans and uh, perspectives that he brought to the table, I, I just grew a bunch as a coach. And now there are quite a bit of things that we do here at Oregon State that I learned from him in regards to a program, a schedule, a system, identities, um, that you, you know, you want to define those things and then go, go chase them. Okay. I have to ask. All right. I mean, coach Peterson and his history with the Fiesta Bowl. So I have to ask you this question. How many trick plays did you learn from coach Pete while you were in Boise and Washington working with him? And have you used any of those trick plays as head coach at Oregon state? (laughs) It's a tough to put a number on because we had, you know, a, a log, you know, he had just had a log of film of trick plays, not always just Boise, but other people had tried and he kept them in this kind of library of them. And we would carry, uh, on occasion, sometimes the, the lowest probably be three up to about seven a game. Not all of them could get called, but you would, uh, you'd always have it kind of in your back pocket. And some of them were really situational and some of them were specific to place on the field or down in distance, you know, all of that. So sometimes it wouldn't get called for four or five weeks. Um, and then, yeah, for sure, at least first couple of years here at, at Oregon State, we've ran a couple. Uh, some have been really good, <laughs> some not so good. Um, I don't know if we got quite that Boise magic that he's, he's had in the past. We're, we're working to get there. Uh, but that's why I go back to his creativity and really his fearlessness of trying some stuff, of making it fun and, and taking some chances. Um, when, you're, when you're going out and trying to win a game, you got to take some chances sometimes. All right, so the magic question is, as a head coach, how do you know when to pull out a trick play? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you trust your preparation. You can just sit there during the week and saying, okay, we got this play. When's going to be the right time to, to call it? And if it gets into a situation where maybe you say, hey, maybe when we're, we're up seven and on their side of the field and we've, we've got it on the left hash on second and short, call it. And so you get into those Saturdays, well, you put all this work in, you know, Monday through Friday of trusting your preparation. And okay, there's a situation arise. We talked about it, call it. Um, that's, that's easier for me to get those plays called when we really, you know, you just talk through when and why you want to call it versus just, well, we got it in the back pocket. You can call it any time. Um, that doesn't, doesn't always make it as easy for me to, to pull the trigger. I mean, better and we're prepared, thought about it. We talked about a situation, that situation comes up. Let's call. You shared some good stories about trick plays, and we appreciate that. So let's turn it to uh, hearing some tales or fables of being on the recruiting trail. And we all hear about what coaches have to endure uh, going into families' homes and the number of chicken dinners or house specialties that mom has or grandma has. Give us your best story from recruiting a football student athlete. Oh, yeah, there's oh gosh, there's been a, a few times. I don't know if they're always good. I can remember uh, a couple of years ago talking to the family, setting up the time where we're going over to the house, and they had, we you know, we talked to them. We were showing up a little bit late, uh, later than dinner time, and they were all jammed up and feeling bad that they weren't going to have a meal for us because they were just getting home from work. And we were like, hey, that is fine, no problem. Love to just come in, maybe a cup of coffee you know, and sit and talk for an hour or two. And so knowing that we were just going to have coffee, me and our assistant, we went and really ate well. Like we were hungry. It's about four thirty-five o'clock. We got some pizza. I think we even had some wings for appetizers. So we just stuffed ourselves. Well, so whatever, an hour later, we go and show up at this house and they had cooked this big old meal. They kind of played a trick on us. 
And so I am stuffed as all get out, but the mom has put together like one of her big spreads. And what do you do? You don't go in there and say, I already ate, I can't eat this. We we ended up eating quite a bit more after being being stuffed. Um and so that was a, a memory I won't soon forget how awful I felt after. And then I got another one. I, I, this was years ago. We're recruiting a kid. We're talking to his parents and him in the living room. I'm there with a few other assistants and the head coach. And, you know, we're into this in 20, 25 minutes. Well, we're in the living room, and in the background on the TV, it was turned on to, like, I don't know, Cinemax or HBO. Well, this turned into more or less rated beyond rated r on the tv while it's going and their back is to the tv and so we're seeing a bunch of flesh going on while we're trying to sit there and talk to them that was uh as that was as comfortable home visit i've been in a long time oh my yeah well don't envy those recruiting visits very much from our standpoint coach what would you say is the biggest challenge for college football as a whole right now yeah, yeah. I think it it's tough not to be somehow COVID related. I do think though, um, you know, everyone wants to keep everyone safe in regards to COVID, especially. But I think it's a real challenge to keep them healthy, safe, playing this game with some of the you know lack of preparation, lighter preparation that's taken place. And so I think a challenge really is from week one to week, you know, the end of the year, week eight keeping guys healthy on the physical side of playing this game, whether we're talking about hamstrings or soreness or sprains, um, of being able to adequately rehab and, and prehab these guys throughout the year with, with dealing with the restrictions of COVID. All right, we're going to finish up with two fun-type questions, okay? And we're going to test your creativity that you learned from Coach Peterson. So let's say for bowl season, you could change or create one rule in college football. What's it going to be? Change or create one rule, huh? Oh man, um, for the for playing the game in college football, that's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, moving the extra point back, like the NFL has, and kicking extra points from you know whatever it is twenty twenty five. I think there's adds a level of excitement, and no guarantee, and you might see more more teams going for two. All right, this last question we ask all of our guests here on the Fiesta Bowl Football Focus podcast. And if you could please share your favorite Fiesta Bowl in history. We're about to enter our 50th anniversary game this year. And so we have 49 classics to choose from. It could be the 2001 Oregon State 41 Notre Dame 9 game, or it could be another one you've experienced as a fan or some other way. Yeah, it's tough for me not to have my favorite being the one that, that I played in. Uh, all the way back to 01. I do remember Miami, Ohio State for a national championship was an unbelievable game. Uh, I remember that being pretty exciting, but it's tough to say when you're experiencing it out on that, on the grass at the time, it's just full and Tempe. Uh, it was a, you know, a life memory that I'll never forget. Well, Jonathan, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate the conversation, the storytelling, and uh, feel confident that Oregon State University is in good hands with you as their head football coach. Well, I appreciate the time. Yeah, fun reminiscing.